Good morning. Would you open with me to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read from verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven has become like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While the men were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plant grew and bore grain, at the same time the weeds also appeared. The servants of the householder came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy did this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds at the same time you uproot the wheat itself. Let the two grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the harvesters, First gather the weeds and bind them in bundles in order to burn them and gather the wheat into my storehouse. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a seed of the mustard plant, which a man took and sowed in his field. On the one hand, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than other plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of heaven come and nest in its branches. He said another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until the whole of it was leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, and apart from parables he said nothing to them, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will declare what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then leaving the crowds, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parables of the weeds of the field. And answering, he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire... So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all who work lawlessness and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let the one who has ears hear. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning, as we seek to understand your word and to live in the light of it, that you might grant to us your spirit, that we might be taught, that we might be reproved, that we might be corrected, and we might be trained in righteousness, so that your name is honoured as it ought to be in our lives, in this college, and in the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier this week, a friend of mine walked into my office, sat down, looked me in the eye and said, well, you believe in a devil, don't you? We were talking about a scurrilous attack that had been made on some mutual friends of ours on the other side of the world. They were under attack from outside the people of God and also from within. 
And as another friend of mine used to say, it has the smell of sulfur about it. You believe in the devil, don't you? A dark menace who seeks to undo the work of God, divide Christian brothers and sisters, pressurize them from out from the outside, tempt them from the inside. At no time, even for a minute, is he the equal of God, and he's been utterly defeated at the cross, but he is still active. He is still the father of lies and the maker of mischief who rants and raves and tries to divert God's people from faith and love and hope. As the kingdom of heaven spread out and gained adherence in the first few centuries, first in Judea and then throughout the Mediterranean and then into central and northern Europe and then around the world, it became a target. As the book of Acts put it, the word of God increased and multiplied, but at the same time, attempts to undo it, to thwart it, to prevent it from having any impact at all increased. This sect is spoken against everywhere, didn't we read? As the gospel, the word of God, entered the world, as the sower sowed his seed, indiscriminately, it seems, it appeared to have a varied impact. As we saw last week, it might be ignored and completely snatched away. It might be undone by testing, compromised by distractions and alternative loyalties, and it might grow and bear fruit. But what is happening at every point is that the sower is sowing his seed. He is in the driving seat. He is in control. His purpose is being furthered and accomplished. But he is not the only one sowing. And you need to understand that. If you are to make sense of the advance of the gospel in our world, if you are to persevere in living for Christ and speaking for Christ... In Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the weeds and its interpretation operate as two bookends with two much smaller, briefer parables enclosed by them. And that's a way of drawing our attention to the fact that this whole section is a package. You need to understand the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the little images of the mustard seed and the leaven alongside each other. There's a whole picture that Jesus is seeking to make known. The parable of the weeds is not just the disposable wrapper that can be thrown away while we attend to the mustard seed and the leaven. This is something we need to hear and to understand and to let shape our approach to life and ministry in this world. No wonder Jesus ended his explanation with those words again, he who has ears, let him hear. But neither are the two little similes in the middle, the mustard seed and the leaven, simply the thin and ultimately unsatisfying spread entirely, entirely dwarfed by two big chunky crusts of bread on either side. They too teach us something we need to know, alongside and in close connection to the parable of the weeds. We need all three parables. They fit together. So first the book ends and then the books which stand upright between them. So, 
the wheat and the weeds. It's a simple story, isn't it, really? It's a scene Jesus' first hearers would have been quite familiar with. I have another friend. never knew I had so many friends, did you? I have another friend who grew up on a small family farm and he tells of how he used to be sent out into the wheat field to pull up the weeds before the harvester went in. You never seem to have the wheat without the weeds. By the time the harvesters come, uh, the weeds are a fair bit taller than the wheat and so they're easy to grab hold of, to bundle up, to stick in your sack and later take to the bonfire. And then the harvester comes in, the reaping's much easier. But why are there weeds there at all? Jesus makes the significance of this familiar story very clear, doesn't he? The field is the world. The world, not the church, the world. The wheat, this time, is not so much the word that's sown, but the sons of the kingdom. Those who've heard the word, embraced it, lived by it, rejoice in it. They are those whom the sower has planted in the world. But alongside them, amongst them, are the weeds, the sons of the evil one. They are those with a different agenda altogether. And they grow up alongside, right in the midst of the sons of the kingdom. The point of the parable is not that they're indistinguishable from the wheat until harvest time. After all, the man's servants seem to realise quite early on that not everything in the field is wheat. They are different. They're not the same. They don't have the same purpose or the same allegiance. But they are there, in the field, in the world. And the first question of the parable is, why are they there at all? If the sower has sown good seed, if the gospel is indeed advancing in the world, and at last count there were two and a half billion Christians in the world, why is there so much opposition? Why are there still people who refuse or resist or even violently oppose that gospel? It's an element of the problem of evil, isn't it? Why, when the absolutely brilliant news of God's generosity in the gospel, his faithfulness and mercy and compassion in dealing with sin and calling us into new, fresh, joyful life as his sons and daughters, why, when that brilliant news has gone out into the world, is there still such opposition? Why is there still such wickedness? Why are there such sustained attempts to prevent others from hearing the message? And the opposition rages from disdainful indifference to outright persecution, as it always has, even in the ministry of Jesus. Why are there weeds in the field? And the answer to that question is the first of the two main points of this parable. An enemy did this. You believe in the devil, don't you? There is a malignant, dark menace at work in this world sowing something else in the field during the night. Don't be surprised at that. It hasn't happened by accident. It's not as if there's something defective in the gospel. It's not as if its power is limited in any way. It is good seed that has been sown in the field and the wheat is still growing, more of that in a moment, 
But there is a real enemy, and he is really at work. A deliberate planting of weeds among the wheat. Now, we don't like to talk about the devil, and that's a good thing. He doesn't deserve the airtime. But it's hard to read through Matthew's Gospel, or any of the Gospels for that matter, and avoid the fact that Jesus' ministry was opposed not just by those with vested religious interests, not just by nationalists or those with some other allegiance, but by a personal spiritual force who does not win, cannot win in the end, but who is active and violent and persuasive and who has gained the allegiance of many in this world, even if they are not conscious of that terrifying fact. He is present testing Jesus in the wilderness. He is present capturing and torturing lives whom Jesus releases with a word. He is present demanding to have Peter to sift like wheat. He is present leading and directing Judas in his betrayal. Don't be surprised. It's not just hardness of heart or weakness of resolve the distraction and allure of the world that explains what is happening all around us and has been happening since the time of Jesus. An enemy did this. And you might be tempted to ask, well, why not simply get rid of the weeds now? And throughout Christian history, many have asked that question and made that mistake. The Crusades, the Inquisitions, the Great Ejections and all the rest the attempts to create heaven on earth and to purge our society of all who stand in the way. But when the farmer in this parable is asked that question, do you want us to go and pull out the weeds right now? He says no. And that's the second point of this parable, isn't it? You need what Helmut Tillicher once called the long patience. Hold off. This is not the time. The wheat and the weeds will be separated, but not yet and not by you. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Because if you try, it will be counterproductive. You'll run the risk of uh, pulling up the wheat with the weeds, even if you're very careful. Who knows which of the sons of the evil one God has determined he will yet rescue. Don't forget what the rest of the New Testament tells us, that we were once outside the kingdom too. And there might have been a time when someone objectively looking out at the world would have concluded that I was one of the weeds, that you were one of the weeds. And yet it was God's determination to save us in his time. It's a lesson the disciples needed to learn time and again, isn't it? Uh, In Luke 9, when the Samaritans of one village would not receive Jesus, James and John asked, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them right now? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. The tragedy of evil in the world will be answered, but not yet. The enemy will not win. There will be a reckoning but not at my hand or at yours, at God's hand. 
There is a definite and deliberate delay in the rooting out of evil from the world. But it will happen. The day is already fixed. Don't take it upon yourselves to deliver the judgment of God. Leave that to God and those with a better eye than you or me to separate out the wheat from the weeds. Leave it to those who know the end of God's purposes with each stalk in the field, not just the beginning. Take the long view. Have the long patience. Because what is needed will be done. There will be a just judgment and there will be a glorious, shining deliverance. And on that day, we will see that our God is more merciful, more just, more holy, and more knowing than we are. An enemy did this. Don't be surprised that this happened and that he is frantically at work as the end draws near. His work and the work of those who are his will not go unchecked forever. Judgment will come and it will be both terrifying and magnificent, but it will come at God's hand at the end, not ours. In a very different context, James gave a warning that fits with this very well. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, that's the bookends, the insidious work of the enemy, which will be undone, but not quite yet. What about the book standing in the middle? The mustard seed and the leaven. These two little similes, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed of the mustard plant, is like yeast hidden in flour, need to be read alongside that much larger parable of the wheat and the tares because they tell a part of the story that you might be tempted to miss if you concentrated only on the work of the devil and his agents and the judgment to come. In two slightly different ways, they tell the same story that no matter what is being done by the enemy, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. The mustard seed is so, so tiny that the trick is to pick one up with your fingers. It might seem tiny and insignificant, not incredibly impressive. Stick it beside a sunflower seed and see how it looks. But when it's planted and it grows, it becomes something quite different altogether. Not the smallest plant in the garden. Not by any shot. Big enough, embraceive enough to be a refuge for the birds of heaven. Something so unimpressive becomes something with incredible impact. A small beginning, but an expansive ending. Yes, there is an enemy at work. There is evil in the world. And yes, at every point there will be opposition but the seemingly insignificant work of pointing people to Jesus, speaking of him and his salvation, living out what it means to be saved by him, that seemingly insignificant work is not what it seems. It is that work which grows and provides a refuge for those who are otherwise lost. Don't be fooled by what looks so small and insignificant. It's not, you know. Twelve disciples in the beginning, and even one of them was not what he appeared to be. 
And like I said, now more than two and a half billion Christians in the world, or people who call themselves Christian at any rate. And here in this land, a handful of those who landed in the land of the Aborigines in 1788 knew and loved the Lord Jesus. They were overwhelmed by convicts who were not interested, opposed by soldiers who saw them merely as agents of the crowd, uh, of the crown, sorry, just to be there to assist in controlling things and keeping order. And yet, in the face of all of that, and all the harshness of those early years, the gospel grew and grew, and in time the branches of this tree reached back across the oceans to share in the global mission of Christ. Well, and then the leaven, the yeast. The key words in this little simile are hid and the whole of it. You see, this little bit of yeast, tucked away in three measures of flour, had an impact on the whole of it. It transformed the flour and water into bread. The yeast is lost in the mixture. In that sense, you don't see it at work. But you see the impact as all the dough rises. It makes a difference. Take three measures of flour, pour in the water or oil and bake it, but without yeast. And you'll notice the difference to the loaf that comes from the oven when yeast is added. I've done it. I've not used self-raising flour when I was supposed to. And the cake was like a brick at the end. <laughs> As we watch some parts of our world move away from the gospel, we see the difference the gospel makes on the whole in a fresh way, don't we? The impact the gospel has had is widespread and profound. And turning away from the gospel leads to an unravelling of much more than church life. The gospel is powerful. It changes things more than we realise at first. Well, can you see why you need to hold these parables together? The onward march of the gospel, uh, the inevitability of its triumph in the end, because Jesus Christ really is Lord and all things will be brought under his feet, that's a great encouragement to keep persevering in Christian living and proclaiming Christ. Be all too easy to be devastated by the continuing presence of evil in the world, even after 2,000 years of gospel work. It would be all too easy to be intimidated by the opposition, by the work sown by the enemy, by those who are powerful, impressive, respectable and implacably opposed to the gospel and its implications. So you need to hear that the small mustard seed grows to be a plant large enough to provide refuge for the birds of heaven. And you need to hear that the leaven does work through the whole batch of dough. It will have an impact even where you do not see it. But without the bookends, it would be possible to be unguarded and complacent and perhaps even triumphalistic. And it would be possible to be blindsided by the kinds of attacks Jesus tells us to expect from outside the churches and from inside. And you need to hear that in the world, the wheat and the weeds grow up side by side and it is the work of an enemy. You believe in the devil, don't you? Don't take it upon yourself to rip up the weeds right now, to eliminate the opposition, 
to identify and damn the sons of the evil one in our own time. You might not get it right. And you might do more harm than good. Instead, realise there is a judgment to come and it will be a right judgment. The problem of evil will be resolved, but not yet. A day is coming when the real experts will make the great separation. Evil will receive what it deserves and the righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Will you pray with me? Would you help us, Father, please, having heard your word this morning, to understand and to believe it, and would you allow it to change the way we live so that we honour the Lord Jesus, for we ask it in his name.